0: I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. We'll be uh, walking through the the Gospel reading that was just read for us uh, briefly. Um, We've been following as a church uh, the life of Jesus walking through uh, Luke's Gospel here. And this is the first Sunday in Lent, and so we're actually going to backtrack a little bit and return to Chapter 4 in Luke's Gospel where we enter the wilderness uh, with Jesus. This is just following his baptism, and in following him into the wilderness, we find temptation, and yet in Christ, we remain faithful with him. So this morning, we're going to look at the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, to that end, Lord, would you, would you pray with us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have granted us your word. Would you give us ears to hear now and eyes to see and hearts to receive that which you have for us, that we might Uh, Behold Christ more clearly and see him more beautifully, that we might be transformed more into his image from one degree of glory to the next. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We read a strange thing in scripture that the book of Hebrews says that Jesus, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. It's strange to think of Jesus having to learn anything. Let alone learning obedience. But that's what the scriptures say. It's strange to think that his education was granted by means of suffering as well. And yet, this is what the scriptures tell us. And we see in this very first kind of public act of Jesus following his baptism is a, a ministry where he's confronting evil, temptation by the devil. He is suffering, he's hungry. He's weak, suffering, and yet he remains faithful. The wilderness becomes Jesus' classroom for learning obedience, which means that there must be something in that wilderness for us as well. In some ways, the wilderness is a classroom for us too, where we also will learn obedience through what we suffer. Let's look at the first couple of verses of Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Thank you, Captain Obvious. 40 days without food and he was hungry. The, the text here gives us clues right away about what this temptation is all about. It talks about the Son of God. Here we have a return From the Jordan. So Luke has just talked about the baptism of Jesus at the Jordan River, and then he gives a genealogy, and then he walks us right into this wilderness temptation. If we were to read the the verses immediately following uh, Luke chapter 4, we would have to walk through the genealogy of Jesus. Okay? So if we could make it through names like Nagai, Elmadam, If you can make it all the way down there, what you see is Luke goes from Jesus and he walks back in time until he gets to Adam. And then even he gets to what's the last person identified? The Son of God. We read of the Son of God identified as Jesus and then boom, we go right into the wilderness. The devil's temptation at the heart of it in verse 3 Begins this way, he says, If you are the Son of God, dot, 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 the temptation here is to prove, to test if Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And if Jesus is the Son of God, well, what does that mean? Who is he? What does he come to do and to be? Who is this Son of God? I mean, the Father, at at Jesus' baptism, affirms that He is the Son of God. The voice speaks at Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved Son. This is God's Son. And He's granted the Spirit at His baptism too, who is a helper. That helper descends to fill and to empower Jesus. And this empowerment, this Spirit, what's the first action we see the Spirit doing? He leads Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted By Satan, the Son of God, we see right here, is submissive to the Father and the Holy Spirit. He's obedient to the point of exile in the wilderness for a time. And we'll anticipate here an exile of greater magnitude on the cross. See, wilderness temptation reveals the the heart. So we can repent of the wrongs we've committed and we can strengthen the righteousness that remains. Now, the Son of God. This isn't the first time that we meet a Son of God in Scripture, is it? Adam is called a Son of God. First one we meet in the Bible. And like Jesus, Adam too was led into a wilderness, though it was once sin had entered in. See, Adam had gone out with his helper, Eve, into the garden, and there they were tempted by the serpent. What was the temptation? It wasn't quite to turn stone into bread, but it was to what? To eat forbidden fruit, wasn't it? Forbidden food. In order to what? Become like God. Jesus comes here in this passage as a second Adam, as a true son of God, resisting the temptation before him, remaining faithful, empowered by his helper, the Spirit, to crush the head of the serpent. Who is the Son of God? Well, he is a second Adam. He is the Son of God in Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of Adam, one who is faithful where Adam failed. So let's start there, shall we? What we see in this temptation is that the second Adam has come, one who has come to renew Adam's posterity. So yes, Jesus comes, the Son of God, as the second Adam, but we can think of another Son of God in Scripture as well. And this son of God was also led by the spirit into the wilderness, though that was wilderness wandering for 40 years. Israel is described as God's son, and they were led by a pillar of fire or a cloud, a glory cloud, into the wilderness for 40 years. And what we'll see is a parallel here. Every temptation that Jesus faces in these 40 days here is the temptation that Israel faced while wandering in the wilderness. So we need to keep these images in mind, the Son of God, Adam, the Son of God, Israel, the Son of God, Jesus, because Jesus not only inhabits the stories of Adam and Israel, he is faithful to where the previous sons of God failed. Who is the Son of God? Well, he is the fulfillment of Adam. He is the fulfillment of who God's people are to be, the chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation for God's own purpose and God's own glory. Luke opens up, says that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I think that's helpful because it assures us that this wilderness is not an accident, not an accidental event, nor would it be then without purpose. What Jesus experiences in the wilderness is common to all humanity, endeavoring to follow God. The only difference in facing this wilderness is that Jesus remains utterly faithful. His fidelity is unending to God, where we tend to fail left and right. Life in the wilderness is painfully necessary for t- us to take on the image of Jesus Christ, right? Wilderness either hardens or it humbles. To better navigate the classroom of learning obedience to what we suffer, we need to examine these temptations one by one here. We're going to see that Jesus is tempted by food, He's tempted toward idolatry, and he's tempted towards presumption as well. So chapter 4 of Luke, let's look at verse 3 and following. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The first temptation is one to be tempted by bread and a humble reliance upon God. Do you find this to be true, that temptations tend to come on strongest when we are most vulnerable? Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He hungers in a way that most of us probably have never known. Surely vulnerable to the promise that stone could become bread. Is it true for you? I mean, most tired, most anxious, most frustrated, and boom, there's temptation, right? And we're weakest to it. Underline this first temptation here that Satan is getting at. Can you turn this bread and in, stone into bread here, right? Uh, there's a quietly unsettling question. I mean, God wouldn't deny a good thing to his own son, right? If you're the son of God and God is your father, he wouldn't deny you a good thing like bread, right? He wouldn't leave his child hungry and suffering, right? The father and the son, it's the same smoldering question which the serpent fanned into flame in the garden for Adam and Eve. I mean, look at that tree over there, that fruit. You sons and daughters of God, you wouldn't, he wouldn't deny you that good food, would he? Unless maybe he doesn't really want what's best for you. Maybe he doesn't really care. It is Maybe he really isn't. Good, and those questions are underlying that temptation, and they can trouble us. But the real trouble isn't not that these questions come or that we face them, but that the problem comes is when we reach for the bread to satisfy an act of defiance, disbelieving God's grace and providence to be sufficient for us. Israel in the wilderness was tempted by Egypt's daily bread. As they grumbled with hungry tummies, what did they want? Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Israel had witnessed God's deliverance from slavery through plagues in the Red Sea, but but a grumbling tummy, maybe you can relate, a grumbling tummy obliterates memory of past providence, doesn't it? It also obliterates the future hope that we look for. That grumbling tummy speaks loud. Israel grumbled until God gave them miraculous bread. And then when it became so monotonous, they grumbled again. God's son's Adam, God's son Israel, he failed under the weight of temptation. But we see Jesus faces the same temptation in the wilderness, and he remains faithful. He holds fast to God's word. Man does not live by bread alone. Now, I love bread, and sometimes I wonder if that's true. But Jesus quotes it back to the devil Man does not live by bread alone. Jesus quotes God's response to Israel, who was grumbling in the wilderness while he's been sustaining them in the wilderness, and they grumble still. The passage in Deuteronomy 8.3 acknowledges that 40 years in the wilderness are to test Israel and in their failure to teach them. It's a hard-fought lesson that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes From the mouth of the Lord. The learning comes through suffering here. That the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, a source of life. Satan tempts us to trust in our own abilities, our healthy lifestyles, our pursuits of righteousness. Satan tempts us then to encourage us to doubt God has our best interest in mind or that he is our highest good or that he is to be trusted When we hunger, and so we watch out. Verses 5 and following. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, and it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus has the stomach to withstand the first temptation, so Satan tries the heart now. Tempts him towards idolatry. We move from the temptation from food to idols. Think back to Moses ascending Mount Sinai where he receives God's law which is to govern all kingdoms. God's people reside in the foothills kingdom of Mount Sinai and at that foothills kingdom they what they turned to idols and making a golden calf. See, that temptation to bow down to a golden calf, it pulls at the heartstrings of man for this desire to control, for a lust for power, the right to rule as we see fit. The temptation manifests itself as a golden calf before the Israelites, through which they did seek to praise and honor God as their deliverer, but they were doing it in a way that God did not command. They bowed before an idol, and in so bowing, they turned their back on the living God. Now, Jesus is tempted likewise here to bow before Satan, who tempts him with power, authority over all kingdoms. But Jesus again refuses here, and he cites the first commandment God gives you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I mean, idols can't be entertained, they must be crushed. And Jesus comes as the great idol, crusher. Why? Because he's more glorious, and the weight of his glory demolishes any false gods. Worship belongs to God alone. Uh, verse uh, verse nine gives us the third temptation. Verse nine. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay, so follow with me now. The Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. Where from the wilderness then he ascends a high place, a mountain. And and now the devil takes him to the temple. That same motion or same movement was from God's son, Israel. As they were led into the wilderness then to ascend Mount Sinai. And at the foot is where the tabernacle, the temple of that day, was made. How should we see chapter 4 here in Luke? Jesus is retracing the footsteps of God's son, Israel, but he remains faithful. He remains obedient, even obedient to the point of death. The temptation here before us, this third one, is presumption, presuming upon the grace and the care of God. It's a temptation common to all people who follow Jesus, who seek out God. In Jesus' day, those who most uh, diligently sought to follow God, there was a presumption upon the temple of the Lord, right? That they would hope or trust in the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, or their lineage, their obedience to the law, adherence to temple sacrifice. God would bless his people, right? The devil is tempting Jesus to presume upon God's mercy and grace and his intimate care. To disguise this temptation as presumption here, the devil quotes Scripture. You can hear him singing Psalm 91 as the the Israelites would have chanted that same psalm in order to defend his wicked proposition. But Jesus recognizes God's voice as distinct from Satan's. And uh, Jesus as well uses Scripture to fight back. And he says, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. I will not bow down to you. I will not test my father in this. This quote that he gives us from Deuteronomy references Israel's despair in the wilderness. When they were facing starvation, they cried out to God, wanting only a return to Egypt. The temptation here for Jesus is similar to that. It would demand some miraculous work of God to provide, to intervene. A prayer, in part, doubting God's goodness in the face of hunger, of suffering, and want. In short, The temptation here is to presume that God must act in this way or he is not good. God must act in this way or he is not good. So Jesus fights back. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And isn't that the aim of every temptation is to put God to the test? It's always what temptation has in mind here, to go against God's word, um, to reorder his divine order of the world and of our lives. (laughs) Temptation is a lot like an undisciplined child when they first encounter structure. Right? We push limits. We feel out boundaries. And like air inflating balloons, our will pushes against God's will As we embrace temptation's voice. If this wilderness is teaching obedience through his suffering, then wilderness must hold potential for us as well. Potential for growth, for humility, fortitude, and courage to follow Jesus. If Jesus had to learn obedience through suffering then our hope is not to avoid the wilderness all our live-long days, but our hope is to persevere with Christ in the wilderness and through the wilderness. We, too, must hope to be led by the Holy Spirit not only into the wilderness, but through it. That is necessary because when faced with temptation, it's difficult to distinguish at times the voice of God from the voice of the tempter. And so Jesus grants us His Spirit his helper, present with him in the wilderness, present with us in our wilderness. Verse 13 concludes the section this way. When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The head of the serpent was not yet quite crushed completely. The temptations will ever threaten. Now, to give in to those temptations, it relieves the pressure valve, doesn't it? But it atrophies the soul. Jesus endured this temptation, but it was not his last learning through suffering here was it? The devil would return at opportune times, none the least of which are in the garden and on the cross. But Jesus' example here equips us for perseverance in the wilderness temptation, to discern the voice of God from the voice of Satan. God uses our consciences, he uses other people in our lives, he uses other means to lead us by His Spirit, but none seems so clear as Jesus shows for us here as the Word of God. He speaks His loving command in His Word. He stories His way through Scripture's stories. In fearing Him is our beginning of wisdom. As the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, so the Spirit will lead us in and through it as well. Equipped with God's word, as we grow, saturating our lives with God's word, we are reminded then also to put on the whole armor of God as well. Because if any story illustrates the fact that we don't wage war against flesh and blood, it's this one, isn't it? Belt of truth, the the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Are we equipping ourselves Life in the wilderness. See, Jesus passed through wilderness temptation in order that we might pass through it with Him. I'll say that again. Jesus passed through the wilderness temptation that we might pass through the wilderness with Him. Now, I think that strikes us this way that we don't have to fear failing our God. That when we enter the wilderness, we will fail, we will heed the voice of temptation. But we don't have to fear failure in and through the wilderness. Rather, we embrace confession as we rise in forgiveness. Now, we don't need to search out temptation. The classroom of temptation will, will find us just fine. But neither do we need to avoid it in the sense that we can hide ourselves from every temptation or fault. Jesus taught us to pray, right? He taught us to pray, deliver us from evil and lead us not into temptation. So we pray those things with great confidence that he will answer that. And we also pray, give us this day our daily bread so that when he does by his spirit walk with us in the wilderness, he will sustain us and he will supply for all of our needs. Our hope is not that we would endure temptation enough or that we would pass the test enough Our hope is that Jesus has entered the wilderness on our behalf. In the same way, He fulfilled obedience where God's son Israel failed, where Adam failed. So He remains faithful where we fail. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. I mean, no temptation has come upon man which Jesus has not faced and conquered. No failure of ours, no sin of ours. Can be committed, which has more power than his cross. Indeed, Satan still roars around like a lion, but he is a toothless lion as we await the final coming of our king. And that king, when he comes, will finally, fully, and utterly crush the head of the serpent, and with him, every idol. For Jesus leads us into the wilderness that we might learn obedience through what we suffer. And he then ascends with us to the mountain and promising that all the kingdoms of the world are his and all authority and power belong to him and we enjoy the blessing of his realm in his kingdom to which we ascend with him to God's holy temple, God's very presence in whom we have happy and holy communion through Jesus Christ, the great crusher of idols, the great giver of of grace, the provider of our daily bread. Temptations will come, and Jesus promises to never leave us nor forsake us. So, Christian, go forth this day as you face your wilderness, led by the Spirit, held fast by your Savior. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have given us your son, Jesus, and in him do we find our rest, in him do we find our hope. As we endure wilderness and the mystery therein, grant us courage to face it with the hope in Jesus Christ. He has remained faithful, and in him do we remain faithful as well. Humble us and teach us, Lord, to walk humbly after you. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.